Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week. So uh, check this out. And if you like it, go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes. They're a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening. Um, here you go. This is Weekly Comics Spotlight number 533 for comics originally released on October 25th, 2017. Now starting us off in DC is Suicide Squad number 28. This is part two of the secret history of Task Force X. Task Force X is the alternate name of the Suicide Squad, so why they didn't just say the secret history of the Suicide Squad, I don't know, but okay. Um, and I don't think on the cover it was blatantly obvious it was part two, uh, in the solicit though it was. And I was curious about this because they had mentioned um, two returning characters, or long-lost DC characters. Have you been reading Suicide Squad throughout, or is this one you're on and off of? Yeah, this is one I'm on and off on. How far back do you go with the Suicide Squad, just in general? Um, never been a fan. Uh, just sampled from here and there. It never really caught on for me. How far back, even with that, though? The New 52. Okay, New 52. reason I ask that is back with the 80s, with um, trying to think if it came out of Legends or what sort of cut point at DC it came out of, uh, they had, uh, at that point, the new take of the Suicide Squad, where it's kind of sort of the dirty dozen for supervillains of they take, uh, well, Amanda Waller takes villains out of prison, puts a bomb in their head and says, you're going to go do this for, for, for king and country kind of a thing. Uh, and if you don't, we'll blow you up. So, you know, you got the reluctant heroes in the most reluctance of senses. Uh, prior to that, there was a different Suicide Squad. I mention that because the secret history of Task Force X reaches pretty far back. Because this villainous, you know, uh, take of the Suicide Squad goes back like 30 years. And this issue has some upsides, has some downsides. I really would not recommend this for somebody who wants to try out the Suicide Squad. It is not a good jumping on point. In this storyline, the current Suicide Squad is kind of split in half onto two different teams. One half is in space with the two members of the original Suicide Squad. The other is fighting, what, zombie robots or whatever on an airfield. And frankly, I really don't think any of the members of the current Suicide Squad really get a chance to kind of shine and, and be, I don't say heroic because they're villains, but you know what I mean. Maybe Katana, but she's only, that's really only a page or two. She gets a little bit, Harley gets a little bit, I mean, they all get some screen time. But none of it where I think somebody's come out saying, wow, I really want to follow that character. They're great. Um, and yeah, some of them is just a panel. Yeah, some of them are, are window dressing and what little, I hesitate to use the term characterization they got in the previous issue is kind of disregarded here. Um, they're, they're pawns in the story. They're not participants. And the crux of this issue is dealing with a less, leftover threat from the original Suicide Squad, the, uh, what do they call it, the... The Red Wave Monster, which isn't, frankly, even what I think they would have called it back in the day. Um, and it seemed to be just a, we need a threat from the old school to, to throw in, so let's make one up and uh, we'll go with this. But it's not a bad comic, 
but it's exploring a history of, of Task Force X, the, the Greater Suicide Squad stuff, that really wasn't, in my mind, calling out to be explored. And given that we've rebooted the universe with, uh, with the new 52, done a, a soft reboot, retooling, whatever you want to call it, with Rebirth, going back to comics that literally were coming out in, like, the 60s and whatnot, and bringing those characters back, it's not a mistake, but it felt odd. And, I mean, I've read some reprints of the original Suicide Squad stuff, but, I mean, even that was ages ago, and I have vague recollections of it. And, again, the the villains recruited for missions has been the take on the Suicide Squad for literally a generation, for like 30 years now. And when you pull up characters anchored in World War II and thereabouts, it, it I mean, really, we've gotten to the point where they had to insert another Rick Flag into his family history. Such that the original Rick Flag, who was at one point the only Rick Flag of the Suicide Squad back in the day, became the father of the one who was running the villainous one. Now he's become the grandfather of the one who had just been on the team, but they recently killed off. Because we can't have too many of these guys running around. Um, this might have had a little bit more resonance if they hadn't just killed off the previous, or not the previous, the current Rick Flag. And gone to not the previous, but the previous to the previous, the grandfather Rick Flag. I mean, this whole thing is, I don't want to say nonsensical, but it's like, why are you bringing this in? And again, it felt like they, they put the, the core characters of this title on supporting cast status for the most part. And too much of this issue was setting up and explaining the nature and the history of the threat and really not moving things forward enough for me. Yeah, the, um, was curious this this red wave monster which was kind of the whole crux of why this the plot was happening at all it didn't really come across as being incredibly universe threatening to me um they didn't do a good job of selling that as you know uh, we've all got to band together or it's just going to destroy the entire world And, and i thought that was kind of a miss there and it was kind of uh Born out with with Katana's character saying, that's a great story, Grandpa, but um, I don't have a bomb in my head, so I, we're not going anywhere. And and I was kind of hoping we'd go down that road because that would have kind of been a little more interesting to me. Uh, it, it, we're not going to do this. That, that was a great story, uh, but nobody cares. And goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but to, to actually capitulate to it. And, and he had his little hero moment there at the end, and he's going to sacrifice himself and and we'll see where that goes. But, uh, yeah, it, it's okay. Like you said, it's not a bad comic. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not awesome. And I don't know who's going, man, I really wish you'd revisit some of this stuff from, is it silver age? Would you say? Yeah. So silver age era and, and tell some more stories with these characters because they're not that interesting. Um, and we have much more interesting members of the suicide squad now. Uh, so that that was one of the lessons that I learned from reading this is um, I'm glad I never read any of that old stuff because what a boring group of people that would have been to read about. Uh, well, and this, I, it's much more interesting now. I think that's a little unfair because you're taking some very colorful supervillains and comparing them to a group of quote unquote regular human adventurers that were going up against alien threats and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of, of fun stories you can do and the characters become interesting when they're having to fight completely out of their league, these aliens and these other monsters and stuff, with just kind of regular 
technology or whatever. It was a bit more grounded uh, of a story back then. It's Star Trek then. I would say more Stargate than Star Trek. The key difference being Star Trek takes place in the future. They've got phasers. They've got transporters. They've got technobabble. Stargate is like modern soldiers and stuff having to deal with this stuff and picking up the the tools and widgets along the way from from alien races or whatnot. Yeah, I will defer to you in all things uh, nerdy sci-fi. You win. (laughs) That wasn't the point, but uh, thank you. (laughs) Compared to the supervillains, yeah, the the old crew look kind of boring. They're just regular folk. But that's not to say that when they're the star of their own book in the period, if you'd read the original stuff, maybe you'd like it, maybe you wouldn't, but they become more interesting characters in that frame of reference. And some of those stories are more akin to kind of this two-page backup feature we're getting, which is the actual history of the original Suicide Squad and uh, kind of some backstory or whatever on King Faraday, which I thought was a little interesting to really be anchoring all of that just uh, post-World War II because it means you can't do kind of current versions of some of these characters. And King Faraday, for instance, I thought we had a current version of, but it's gotten to the point I can't keep track if I'm thinking New 52 or pre-New 52 or whatever. Um, they've retold some of these sorts of stories and reorigined some of these characters so many times that the um, the boundaries between the timelines or whatever is blurred for me and... and uh, it's easy for me to get a little confused on that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's un- it's unfair to take those two pages and assume that's the storytelling style of the previous iteration. So, yeah. It's absolutely not. But you've got to keep in mind that the original Suicide Squad was one of these regular human teams or whatever that was coming out around the same time as Cave Carson and uh, those guys, uh, the Sea Devils, uh, the original Secret Six... Uh, Rip Hunter and his group of, of time commandos or whatever they were. Did you read the Scooby-Doo team up with the challengers? No. And, and everything you mentioned, never read any of that. All of those characters, though, while they would fit in the Saturday morning type stuff and they were great back in the 60s and, and reprints thereof, that's not what we're reading these days. So why bring this stuff back into the DC universe and anchor it, you know, a, a two generations back effectively. If there's payoff for this, I'm all for it. I've got nothing against the World War II era, and particularly the World War II era of DC, but my love of it is essentially the Roy Thomas version of it, and I was reading that, frankly, before even this take on the Suicide Squad happened. So it was one of those things where you could have the kids of the JSA, now you must have the grandkids of for it to be contemporary stories with a story element anchored in uh, in World War II era. So I, it's not a bad comic. It has some fun stuff, but it does come across a little bland because the usage of the original Suicide Squad members is not exciting, and they don't really use the current Suicide Squad uh, in a particularly exciting manner either. Yeah, I think I think that's where I'm at. It's um, it's not awful, but. It didn't really do much for me, didn't, didn't move the needle, didn't make me want to read any more Suicide Squad. And I'm not really that interested in the uh, the Red Wave monster and finding out what happens there. So it's just a C- minus for me, but um, it's okay. You might like it more. Uh, I went with a C+, plus, but things like the Red Wave monster, that felt like a, a filler 
like something that's just well, we need a threat. We'll, we'll go with this. It didn't. We'll, we'll put this inspired. in there as a placeholder for now. We'll come up with something better, and then nobody ever went back and replaced that with something better. It's like, oh yeah, the script's due tomorrow. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. Shall we go on to our Marvel book? Yeah. This is U.S. Avengers number eleven. Uh, this one um, was one I wanted to do for two reasons. One. Actually, a couple of reasons. First, the, the the title of the story is Cannonball Run. I love the movie. This has nothing to do with that, but what the hell. Uh, it's part one of the storyline. Uh, two, it's dealing with what happened to Cannonball, because he was recently missing and presumed dead during um, Secret Empire, I guess. Uh, so now we find out what happens. And three, the cover of this has him in a quasi-photorealistic uh, look with a almost Dan DiCarlo-style Archie-esque uh, soda shop. It just feeling yeah. completely out of place, almost to the point of like a Roger Rabbit sort of a deal. I was curious um, when you pitched this one. Uh, I thought, huh, we just reviewed this not that long ago, and it was a big stinker. And so I was like, wonder why we're revisiting this so soon. Um, and, 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 and We then, did the first issue. Yeah. It was back at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Okay. Still awful. And, but then, you know, I, I noticed, oh, oh, it's kind of a Archie riff. Uh, that could be interesting. And, um, it was, it was interesting. It, it, it made, uh, it, it made up for what it usually is. I thought, I think so. I, I think that it improved it by, by, by smashing up the genre a little bit. I'm not going to pretend that U.S. Avengers is the be-all, end-all Avenger title or even close to the front-runner of the, the franchise. Uh, the mix of characters is, um, you know, Citizen V, which is really Sunspot. So you got two of the, the original New Mutants of Sunspot and Cannonball. And then a bunch of effectively either knockoff or second, third-rate characters. You know, a Red Hulk who's not the Red Hulk you would think of. Iron Patriot who's not the Iron Patriot you would think of. Squirrel Girl who is the squirrel girl you would think of, because she's the one and the only. So far, given time, there'll be another. And then Enigma, who's another kind of derivative, almost, character. But because they're dealing with these, they can go and do some fun stuff. And it turns out that Cannonball has found himself uh, trapped on an alien planet in what looks like small-town USA, uh, a mock-up or whatever of that. It's very clearly not a real thing. And it's got, to say it's got a distinctly archy vibe to it, I think is understating it. It's got a huge aspect of that. And the way they tell the story, now they don't actually say this, but my feeling is this presumably was like a training town for Skrulls pre, you know, uh, Secret Invasion. Um, and then at one point we actually see a character that uh, I thought was very obviously a super Skrull with the powers of, um, where was it? Uh, Cyclops, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and uh, Archangel, which seemed to actually surprise Cannonball a bit, which confused me because, again, there were Super Scrolls out the wazoo during Secret Invasion. But it's something where, just like in they had, you know, the, the Russian-America towns where they would train people to be spies, that's kind of what I took this to be, and then somebody took it over and presumably had watched too many of, I guess, televised... Uh, what is this character's name? Richie, uh, Richie Redwood, um, in place of Archie Andrews. And they modeled the whole town and, and everything off of that. And everybody seems to be a, a prisoner of his. And he wants them to stay in character. He wants to live out this idealized television reality. And it's fun because you've got 
characters that are essentially Betty and Veronica. You've got uh, Gary instead of Reggie, uh, Biff instead of Moose, which I thought was a kind of a fun potential Back to the Future uh, uh, homage there. Um, it's just, it's got a whimsicalness to it, yet there's a little bit of an undercurrent of Cold War kind of spy stuff potentially going on. Um, I'll admit I didn't care for the alien gangster robots that the rest of the team deals with, but it kind of fit the tone of the story, so it wasn't a big deal. While I think this got this arc off to a little bit of a slow start, it was fun. And just seeing kind of the riff on the Archie stuff, um, with a, a bit of a dark undercurrent of don't, don't tick off Archie, you'll get in trouble sort of a thing, or Richie in this case. Which, again, Richie, Richie Cunningham, again, some of the names they used I thought were well chosen. Um, I enjoyed this. I thought it was a blast. Yeah, other, the, the one thing, um, I had a problem with Paco Diaz's interpretation of Squirrel Girl again. Um, I don't know if he was the artist back in number one, but if, the one thing I recall being egregious was that he drew her as some kind of, of, of supermodel uh and she clearly isn't in her title and she's drawn. Well, it's the, it's the, it's her title. They should really take the lead from the person who's writing her book. I get what you're saying, but if you go not to the original stuff, but to some of the intervening stuff, she looked a lot like this there in uh, new Avengers and some other stuff. I mean, I get what you're saying. They're inconsistent with the look of the character. She's got her own title. That should be the, the go-to reference. That should be the character design um, and at least a variation and in interpretation of the artist based on the character design that's in the current book. Um, you, you shouldn't be able to have this much creative license um, with a team book. It should be it should be in the ballpark. I, I, agree I, I find with that you. frustrating. I agree with you, but I at least see where this artist got the reference from. Right, but you shouldn't go back multiple volumes. You should stay in the current volume. Given how long some volumes last, that may be the only scroll go reference he had. But I, I, I'm not disagreeing with your point at all. And this is something that it would, you know, the uh, the editor probably should have supplied the artist with. This is how the character looks in her own book. Um, whether they want to make it match or not, don't know. But I agree with expecting it to match is not unreasonable in the least. It makes perfect sense. I agree with what you're saying. But. I mean, that's a quibble. Um, it's, it's only one of the characters in the book. The other ones I was fine with, they're, they were close enough for me. Um, and I liked the uh, the Archie riff. I thought it was interesting. Um, I'm curious enough to actually want to see how they get out of this scrape and who all the rest of the characters are in the, in, in the back or in this prison cell. Um, I, I'm not familiar enough with the archetypes that they've got there to, to figure it out on my own. So I, I'm looking forward to meeting all of them and seeing how they get out of this. So the, it did a good job of, of taking a property that I did not like, um, re jiggering it a little bit, um, and, and putting a new package on it that made me uh, a little more interested. So, um, I, I think that's a, that's a win. So it, it, it was, it was a fun read. Yeah, I definitely think, um, this is probably a better jumping on point than some of the other stuff uh, of the title. I've enjoyed the run of U.S. Avengers, but it's not the Avenger title most people are going to gravitate towards because there's nobody in here that I think anybody would recognize and say, you know what, that's one of the characters I think of when I think of the Avengers. Mm -mm. Um, but it was fun. 
So I enjoyed this quite a bit. For me, it was a very solid B. I'm looking forward to what they do, and uh, it's not something that I think is going to last in terms of these other su- supporting characters or whatnot yeah. beyond this arc. But, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll find a way to take one or two of the characters and have them join the team temporarily or something. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, it, it was a, a good good jumping on point for, for new readers. I, I felt it it was... And it was fun, especially if you like Archie and that world. I think that that would help uh, you kind of latch on to this story. Um, so I also I also gave it a B. Well, one of the things was, that was fun about the, the use of the Archie stuff is they did a riff on it, holding true to the tenets of that framework without poking fun at it and making it seem childish or ludicrous or anything like that. And they were, I would say, surprisingly respectful of the franchise. So I was I was pleased with that. Um, again, it's, uh, if you're reading Archie, this is worth checking out. If you're not reading Archie, that's worth checking out too, actually. It's, it's really good stuff. Um, so yeah, we'll see where they go with this. Shall we move on to our other book? Yeah. This is Star Trek Boldly Go, number 13. This is part of the IDIC part one storyline, uh, that is infinite uh, diversity and infinite combinations. This is a a arc I've been looking forward to since they announced it. Part one of six of a uh, six issue mega event, whatever the hell that means. Uh, to me, that's a six issue story arc, but hey, mega event sounds impressive. And in this, scores of realities collide um, as infinite diversities and infinite combinations takes on a new meaning for Captain Kirk and his crew with the fate of all realities at stake. It's like, well, that seems like a big deal. And each issue is going to delve into a different section of the multiverse. Some we've seen, some we haven't. And I, I like alternate timelines. They can be fun for stories and stuff. Star Trek has certainly had many of them, the Mirror Universe being uh, one of the two go-to examples, I would say. The other is either the movie universe or the TV universe, depending where you came in. Um, But the fact that they've got different timelines and can have fun with it is cool. And for Star Trek, though, it can be hard to find kind of a new variation to explore because they've done... I don't even remember how many seasons they've done. Let's see. Three of the original series, seven of Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, another four of Enterprise. They're halfway through one of Discovery. They've also done an animated series that lasted a season or two, two, I think. Um, plus they've had the movies, plus the novels. The novels they've gone and done literally hundreds of those. So, I mean, Star Trek's pretty well mined. Um, I've watched all the TV stuff, I've watched the movies, I've read many of the novels, a surprising number, but nowhere near all of them, they come out too fast. So, I was thinking, if they can find a new take on this for a universe, that, that'll be fun, don't know if they can do that or not, but sure enough, they did. When we got the one where, and it's fun, because they're riffing on, again, the movie stuff, which is the, the basis for this series, um... We've got one where this Spock, the Quinto Spock, was raised by humans, having been essentially rejected by the Vulcans. So we've got a, a much more uh, emotional kind of a Spock versus a logic-driven Spock, and how that kind of played out differently in the timeline. And then having Kirk, having been raised by Vulcans, or not Vulcans, uh, Klingons, I mean, um, was fascinating. So just this timeline that they uh, set up here was a ton of fun. And then having the classic uh, uh, movie timeline they've established in the three movies intersecting with it, and then another crew 
which is essentially just a gender-reversed one that we've seen in these comics before. That was cool, too. I'm curious where they go with this, what other timelines we'll see, how they interact, and kind of what the core problem is, because this is part one of six, and there's a lack of clarity as to what's really going to put the all realities at stake or whatever. But it was fun. They covered, I felt, a lot of ground here. They fleshed out these versions of these characters in this uh, human-raised Spock timeline. Um, and I enjoyed it. It was it was fun. Yeah, there's a, I have a couple art problems here. Um, uh, again, more quibbles. Uh, the uh, It's an interpretation of the movie likenesses, and it's pretty close. Um, and so I, I guess that's good. I guess you want you want the the fans of the movie to be able to enjoy that. Um, the guy who plays Chekhov who died mm-hmm. makes an appearance. That took me right out of the story. I think he's got to be um, recast. I think you definitely need to kind of move away from that character because he's not going to be in the movies I anymore, right? disagree with that. Uh, they're not going to recast him from the movies. Chekhov, my understanding, was, will just be assigned elsewhere. And this is a way to, to use that character and res- pay respect to the actor and stuff for the, the impact he had in the course of the three movies and stuff. I didn't find him being in there the least bit of a problem. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, d- I definitely think they should send him on assignment somewhere and get him off off the screen. Uh, I thought that w- that was a problem. Um, the I, I thought it was a lot of fun with um, the the cooler uh, Spock with the, <laughs> with the swoopy hair and the cropped ears. I mean that that was a that was a nice a nice interpretation. I kind of wish this wasn't launching while that mirror storyline is going on. Um, I kind of wish that they'd finish that up. It's the same publisher, right? Is it IDW? The same publisher, the but the mirror one, uh, mirror broken or whatever is an next gen story. Yeah. So, so it's kind of mining that same, uh, area. Fair and enough. I, I kind of wish that they would finish that up. Um, let that story line run its course in a different alternate take. And then, and then maybe, uh, the kick off this, I think the timing is a little, a little off for it in it and it could pro- could be problematic for confusion and 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 folks uh it's uh, n- not also, but again again it's multiple uh it's different uh different tracks yeah but it's um, also possible that that one could end on a note that finishes that storyline and leaves those characters available to cross over into this in a few issues with before the because uh, it's a six issue and i think it's four in correct yeah so it has a possibility to end and then make an appearance on here, which that would be really clever if they do that, but I, I don't see that happen. That involves time travel as well as alternate timelines, so I don't know that they'll do that either. Yeah, um, I thought the I thought Kirk the Kirk interpretation was really fun as well, and uh, they did a good job of introducing him. They did a good job of introducing Spock, uh, the the new version of Spock, and the new version of of Kirk as well. And, and I thought I thought they really showed you who their characters were, were and in a fun way that was kind of the standout parts of this for me. Um, you know, cause it got towards the end of this first issue and ships started interacting. Um, and we get the, the, the gender swap, which was really only on it for a panel. So it'll kind of launch us into what's coming next. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like that kind of scene has been played a little bit, uh, multiple times. So I'm, I'm not sure what they're where they're going to go with this this kind of standoff, but um, it was not a bad start. Um, 
pretty interesting storyline. And, um, you know, with the, the photo realism aside, uh, I, I, I thought this was a pretty fun, fun start to the story. Uh, on the art thing, there are a couple of places where I thought they caught the essence of the actor without a dead on likeness, which is, is good. There were a few places where I felt like on one panel, we got like a really good, um, rendition of one character but then the panel next to it not so much um it happened in a few places overall i thought the art was good there were one or two where it was a little stiff but i think the challenge you have with anything based on a live action property is how close do you get to the likeness how close do you want to get to the likeness and there's uh, there's a challenge there that's um a bit harder and different than just doing like a Batman or Avengers comic or whatever. You know, you've got some serious leeways to how you depict Bruce Wayne or, or Spider-Man or whomever. But when you're doing, uh, the movie based, the new movies based Spock or Bones or Kirk or whatever, you're expecting it to look a lot more like those actors. Um, and that's, so you, there, there's a need for a reference and there's a risk of, of stillness and st- stiffness and lifelessness. To me, that's something that it's hard for an artist to really utterly nail that perfectly, and I think this artist does a great job throughout. A couple of panels less so, a couple of panels even more so. Um, but it's a nice, clean, rendered style, and to me, it's... Uh, I think IDW's been doing a terrific job with the Star Trek franchise and keeping the movie universe going between movies and a lot of the stuff they're doing with some of the other books... Uh, just keeping the franchise kind of up and going. They're going to have a Star Trek Discovery title out uh, before too long. I'm looking forward to that, too. This was a ton of fun. I'm going to go with a solid B on this, um, and I recommend it. Yeah, I, I liked it, too. I, I'm going to give it a B. I think it's it, it's fun, especially if you like um, the, the latest uh, Star Trek movies. I think you'll enjoy this. Um, and, you know, it, you know, it did, what, $100 million, the latest latest movie did $100 million. So that's a, that's a lot more people than read comics. Um, at least read Star Trek comics. So if they, if they venture forth into a comic shop, you want to give them something that they recognize. So it yep. makes sense to me. Not that it ever works that way, but it'd be nice to give it the option. But that's the thing is it doesn't have to work entirely. It just needs a fraction of a percent to do it, to have a meaningful bump. It still doesn't happen, but it could. <laughs> yep. We keep holding out hope. That will do it. 